This is the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore... None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are a rock and a redeemer, our light and our life. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, I just want to note that I am indebted to some of what follows to a few contemporary theologians, especially Kelly Fryer and Glenn Monson. They are faithful writers and faithful theologians in our world today. So our mortgage company called us this week to let us know that the interest rates recently dropped pretty significantly and that we might want to consider refinancing. Well, that call set off a whole string of steps, beginning with comparison summaries and amortization charts, which honestly, to me, just look like a bunch of data in Russian. I can't say Greek because I do understand a little Greek, but... So, I called up my little brother, who's an engineer, and he can do complex equations in his sleep, and within minutes, he translated everything in black and white rows of endless numbers into beautiful color graphs so I could better see in picture form all the data and compare the original mortgage with the refinance mortgage. And then, after that, we asked our mortgage broker a bajillion questions over several days. Ooh, she's probably thinking I should never have called their number. (laughs) And all of this was to be able to calculate and weigh the liabilities and benefits of what lay before us. Does the invitation our mortgage company cause us unnecessary risk, or will it bring great reward? What will it cost us? We want to know if something is worth our time, our money, our personal resources. We want to be sure we exercise a healthy skepticism to avoid the scams. We count costs all the time as we encounter the demands of living up to the ideals of our modern American life, and it's a luxury to be able to do so. 
It's interesting how Jesus frames the call to discipleship with two scenarios, building a tower and waging war, to illustrate sitting down to consider the risks and weighing the benefits before one acts. Indeed, there is much at stake in Jesus' invitation to follow him. Because at this point in the story, to follow Jesus means following a very hard path. Because it's a road leading directly to the place of the skull, the cross. For some of the early Christians to whom Luke was writing his gospel, their families were being divided with some but not all um, began to follow the way of Jesus. And not all members of every household were embracing Christianity. And for other Christians, it meant martyrdom. When Luke's Jesus speaks about hating family members, he's using hyperbole, intentionally making his case by illustrating the extreme. But he does this to stress the seriousness of the path that he is on. After all, it means following one who died a scandalous death because the way of life Jesus proclaimed and lived and inaugurated in this world was radically countercultural, making those in power mighty nervous. The call to follow is risky business. It may cost us our friends, family, our security, our very selves. The call to discipleship makes impossible demands. The truth is that we are utterly incapable of doing it on our own, and even trying is futile. But before there's this call to discipleship, there's a gift. A gift of freedom that radically reorients and transforms. We cannot properly count the cost of the call without first being reoriented by the gift in the first place. And as Lutherans, we have this spectacular theological lens that we are saved by grace through faith. And that means that there is nothing we can choose or do to earn forgiveness or righteousness for ourselves. Thanks be to God. God's love, mercy, forgiveness, and grace, a new beginning each day, come to us by gift, pure and simple. And it's only by God's grace that we can receive it. You do not have to do anything. Indeed, you can't do anything. Because God has already done it for you. Jesus has already done all the things required of disciples, says Monson. Jesus has been willing to make us his first love. Jesus has been willing to carry and bear the cross. Jesus has been willing to set aside all things that we might belong to God. And Kelly Fryer says, we have the gospel message, the good news of a God who comes down here to call us out of a li old life of shadows and death and into a new life of purpose, hope, and uncontainable joy. She says, through no merit of our own, God comes down here to set things right and to save us from ourselves 
and to set us free from whatever would kill us. God comes down here with love and mercy to deliver us from evil and death and into unexpectedly abundant life. God comes down, most powerfully of all, in Christ Jesus, of course, and makes all things new. Suddenly it becomes a little bit more clear. The gift is a call to freedom from all that denies life. The gift of abundant life is for us. It is for you. And with this incredible gift is the call to discipleship. The gift is a call, and the call is a gift, and the two cannot be separated. And this amazing gift sets us on a path. Now, what kind of path is it that you see in your mind? Is it a bright, inviting path? Is it a thorny, foreboding path that looks at least a little precarious? Is it a winding path that makes it very difficult to get a sense of the destination to which it leads? Is it a path with a hill up ahead that makes it impossible to see what kind of terrain lies after it. We like to know what risks and demands we might encounter up ahead. Few of us go anywhere anymore without a nav navigation device in hand or at least some previous knowledge of the way. We've grown accustomed to knowing exactly what time we will arrive and which side of the road the destination will be on and if there's traffic congestion or road construction that will impact our travels, you're still in the most direct route or if we will be better served by a different route altogether. See, walking the way of Jesus is an adventure into what God has imagined for us. And there are only three things certain about this path. Each step is infused with God's grace, whether the terrain seems inviting or rough. Jesus himself has walked the path ahead of us and for us so that we can follow him. And three, the Holy Spirit has been sent to empower, guide, and equip us for every step we'll take along the way. God's grace is everywhere. There is nowhere we can go that we will not find God's life-giving love surrounding us. Wherever the path leads, God's grace is already there waiting to greet us. The road certainly will not always be easy, especially the paths leading us through a world groaning in pain and heartache, especially when you have to give up something to live into God's call to discipleship but no matter how hard it gets, there is always blessing in the midst of the struggle. God making a way where there seems to be no way. And while every day we will encounter dead ends, even necessary dead ends, as a daily dying to ourselves occurs, the promise has already been made that after death, there is life, abundant life. Fryer says we do not participate in missions simply because Jesus tells us to, but rather because we can't 
help but get caught up in what God has already done and is doing. When Christ calls, we follow. We answer his call, which comes to us as a gift of grace, and leave our nets and give ourselves away. This is the hardest thing we will ever do. It will mean putting the needs of a broken world ahead of our own. This is a costly call, but we answer it because when it's all said and done, there is no other choice that makes any sense at all. Recently, I was introduced to Mary Oliver's poem, Wild Geese, and it ends with her eloquent description of geese, high in the clean blue air, heading home again. They have the bird's eye view, and their call to you is harsh and exciting over and over again, announcing your place in the family of things. God's call in our lives is a gift of freedom because it announces our place in God's gracious mercy and love that all might live fully in a world of God's imagining. Amen.